I'm recording. This live. is episode number, I don't know what you said live again. I know, I did it on purpose. <laughs> this is four. No, this is five. Five. Yes, this is this five. Is five. Yes. yes, yes. So, episode five. Cinco. Um, Out of like, how many? I don't know. Okay, I'm I had just in, wondering what I signed up for. I here. had intended, <laughs> when I mapped out, I thought, okay, we can do this in 12. And then I looked at chapter three, which we're going to delve into right now. And I'm like, which oh, that's huge. not a two episode. Maybe that's a three episode, which puts us at 13. If everything else goes according to plan. Right. Mm-hmm. But it might not. It might not. Because okay. I'm looking at like most of these chapters being like two episodes, this one being three, hopefully the next one being two, but it could end up being three as well. Okay. Um, and then the last chapter, chapter, was it six? Um, being like chapter one, where it's just a, a one episode and then a, a closing one. Right. Um, but we'll hey, see. Hey, I'm along for the ride, man. I, I'm, yeah. I know. It's, you drive this. <laughs> I'm ready. Right. And I got the feeling that some of the other guys are going to want to jump in because they've all started, you know, reading the book and. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We got to gotta, yes. gotta respect the uh, right yes. reverend, yes. honorable former mayor candidate, That's Vince right. Farrell, our friend. That's right, my mayor. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We should have worn the shirts. We should have. Next I don't recording have my session, shirt yet. Next recording session, let's all wear the shirt. Yes. Farrell Done. from Mayor yes. 2022. Yes. 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 There you go. <laughs> but but he called us out because we were saying that our friends didn't read the book, and Vince actually read the book before any of us. That's true. That's um, true. And we didn't, I, I at least didn't listen when he said that he had read it already. I didn't hear that either, so, so I'm just as good. I forgot Vince. Sorry. <laughs> so, we love you, man. So, but yes, we are sorry, Vince. We love you. Um so that being said, we are looking at chapter three, and the first thing that, like, I was, we were talking about this, and I was saying that it starts out, and it already just hits the ground running with the second sentence of chapter three is arguably controversial, because um, it says, facing a mix of white hostility, paternalism, and indifference, black people in the town and, con- and county sought ways of establishing a sense of personal and communal agency. Mm-hmm. And, and I say it's controversial because a lot of people will take issue. They'll say, okay, white hostility, sure, you had the Klan and this and that, but... What's the big deal about paternalism or indifference? How is that on equal footing with hostility? Right. Um, But he is saying these are equals. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Mm, No, okay, go ahead. Yeah, I don't know that he's saying they're equals. Okay. Right? I don't think he's saying they're equals, but they all are detrimental. Mm, Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the impact, the effect of them might not have been the same, but none of them were good. Okay. And and I don't know if I would say they're equal, but maybe they are, because I'm thinking of letter from a Birmingham jail. Who is that written to? It was written to the white moderate who was indifferent mm-hmm. about the plight of African Americans during the civil rights movement. And so if you've got indifference, indifference is indifference. Indifference is tolerant. Yeah. And so if you're tolerant of gross evil, then what are you culpable of that? Are you Yeah. So I don't know. Right. And what makes me, so you mentioned the letter, that's extra messed up because it's to moderates who are religious leaders. Exactly. The, the pastors and, and yeah. well, you had some rabbis, I think he lit, sent it to as well. Mm-hmm. But these are, this is why we're doing this because yeah. we recognize pastors. the fact that we have this role in society right. and as we lead, they follow. I mean, sometimes, sometimes they don't. Sometimes <laughs> not. And that's yeah. okay. But, yeah. but by and large, just like kids, it's when you're leading poorly, they definitely follow. Um, and when we're leading rightly, sometimes no. that's the AC. It kicked in on its own. I know. I tried it. I told you. Right. I set it up to not come. I think it heard you saying, is it hot there? Is it just me? <laughs> and the air decided to kick on. And the AC said, we're sorry, Richard. We'll kick in for you. It just so happens that this is a day outside where it's supposed to get up to like a 105 heat index. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Now, there is a frequency cut. You can cut that in post. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I don't know how to do that. But I know somebody that knows yeah. how to do so that. So if you can hear the AC, then that's because I didn't talk to that person we didn't do post (laughs) yeah (laughs) but so so yeah so okay so maybe they're not equal i i I would say 
in my experience, I think that it it can be equal um, as far as the the effects in a person's life. Right. Um, I know. So one of the things that I used to say when people like I've been from California, then having lived in New York and in Texas, and now here in Kentucky as well. I would tell people that oftentimes I prefer the racism to the South than the racism to the West. Because it's more overt. Um, because it's in my face. That, that overt hostility is oftentimes easier to deal with than paternalism or indifference because it leaves me constantly feeling paranoid. Like, mm. am I making this up or do they really have it in for me? While overt hostility is like, oh, well, I'm, no, I'm not making this up. They just try to shoot me. Like, <laughs> so, right. so as far it's as hard the, to psycholo- miss that one. So the psychological, for me right. personally, I've often argued that I prefer hostility to paternalism mm. or indifference because then at least I know what I'm dealing with. Um, but that's that's me. Like that's a good point because I'm, I'm thinking of you know the images of lynching. Yeah. You know, not everybody did the lynching, but there was a lot of people in in many circumstances that were watching it. Mm-hmm. They were indifferent. Yeah. They were there just being a part of the picnic. Yeah. So who's worse, the one who's watching the lynching or the one who's actually doing the lynching? Yeah. Reminded of the phrase, you know, um, those are our people. Um, how that, was the, that was a shorthand of saying, which, which white people could you trust to be on your side or not? And over at hostility, at least made it easy to identify who are my people and who aren't. Mm-hmm. Like when I would drive down the back roads of Kentucky and see Confederate flags, um, like I didn't want to walk up to their property. That's those are true. Not your people. But <laughs> at least I knew, don't walk up to their property. <laughs> um, that, yeah. that, that gave me that sense of, well, at least I know what I'm dealing with. Right. Um, and so in, in that sense, I... I lean that way as far as the, the equality of them. Um, but I do think that one of the things that they, they hint at this is how hostility is not always the person you expect. Um, and so I want to jump straight, like we're going to skip ahead a little bit, but I want to go straight to that one guy we mentioned. Was it William? Was that his name? Are you talking about there? Buckner? Uh, yes. I want to go straight. So it's on 86. I want to go straight to him first because, like, yeah, well, because I don't, I know sometimes we can give the, I can give the impression, maybe not you guys, you guys aren't as, I don't know. You, somebody <laughs> likened me to Malcolm X the other day. I was like, I, I'm complimented because, wow, I've never. Early Malcolm X or later Malcolm I don't, X? I don't think they quantified it, but I just okay. was like, wow, I'm, Michael Me- I'm Malcolm X now. Because there's, dif- there's a difference. <laughs> but, but I know that I can come across a little bit more uh, aggressive. Radical. Sure, radical too. All those wonderful things. Okay. Um, and what I like about this story is that he proves um, that, no, it's not that I have it in for all white people, not just because I'm a member of How. How, <laughs> which is an Go back inside to joke. Episode one. Episode one. Episode one. one. Yes. Um, but uh, I really don't, I, I, I don't think that white people are inherently evil. I don't think that, you right. know, as Malcolm said, that they're devils. And I don't believe that in the least. They are, we are all equal in the image of God. And, right. and, and that is a beautiful thing. And I love this story because it helps to highlight that it's, it's not that white people are the problem. It's that sinful people are the problem. There you go. Um, and yeah. so this guy, William Buckner, right, it says that, uh, is that, here, uh, yeah, 86, I'm going to just read it. sections yeah. of it. It says, William T. Buckner says, quote, I am a native-born Kentuckian and have been a large slaveholder, and as they labored faithfully for me and mine while they were slaves, I am now willing to do everything in my power to elevate them morally and mentally. Right. Slave right. owner. Yeah. Who owned slaves all the way through to the end of the Civil War. Yeah. Says, all right. These guys worked hard for me. Yeah. I'm going to work hard for them. I'm going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is, which is amazing. Now, there's a little tidbit in history, though. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Nathan Bedford Forrest essentially said something ex- very similar to that closer to the end of his life. Wow. Yeah. He gave his life to Christ, 
later on in life, and he said something eerily similar to that. And he's important because he's what is it? Is it is it not Clarksville, Nashville? Where's he? Fort Pillow. Fort Pillow. Yeah. Well, he he's from um, Memphis, but um, the Battle of Murfreesboro. He was mm-hmm. in Murfreesboro. He actually came here. So the um, I think it's the Donaldson. Right down, well, actually, on right downtown Hopkinsville, okay. they stopped oh. here for a little bit. And there's okay. a plaque, and it's outside one of the churches right downtown. I can't remember which one it is. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gotta I love mean, it. Church is like, we're going to commemorate the wonderful Confederate soldier who camped out in front of our church back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I, I didn't know this about the end of his life. Yeah. Like, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, he was a horrible individual. Um, there's a great book, um, and it's called um, Forced Redemption. And essentially, uh, there was a pastor and his own wife had been praying for him for years, closer to the end of his life, after the war. He gives his life to Christ, and he goes around, almost like on tour, and he speaks to groups of African Americans. He says, if there's anything I can do to help you, if it's to start businesses or to help you on, wow. on, on getting your feet up, he said, I will do that. Wow. And so, I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, the negative connotation of him permeates history, um, but there's a part that is often forgotten. And I think if we're looking at history, we have to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And so Indeed. this what we're talking about with Buckner here. This is a good thing yeah. in an ugly past. Well, and it's not just that. It's the, it's the sort of redemptive thing that we should be celebrating as Christians. Right. We say we have the story of, of repentance, of salvation, of new life, and yet we don't, by not talking about the sin, we don't even have room to talk about the new life. Right. I mean, but here he is, and he's and he has it. I mean, and so like I, I went on had underline that says uh, uh, ex- see Buckner's apparent epiphany about former slaves at a time when many suffered retributive action from their erstwhile masters, like Ellen McGahey Wallace, your friend Miss Ellen. Miss Ellen. <laughs> Ellen. He was a unionist and a slave owner. He also served in the Union Army, but unlike Wallace, he accepted the end of slavery without apparent rancor. Yeah. So here again, this is this this contrast, and it says that you you're at a crossroads. Do you repent? Or do you entrench? Oh, man, look at that. See, that's I am turning great. into Malcolm X. Yeah, that's a book. <laughs> Come on. But, a t-shirt, at least. <laughs> but, but like, I like it. But, like, but, I mean, that's, that's what he did. And, and I think it's a model for us because, again, I was, I, was on the, I was on the phone earlier today with another guy here at Edgewood talking about that sermon I, I preached on Daniel 9. And, and, and he was sharing how much he appreciated me preaching the sermon. But that is the, the desire is that you know, we talk about repentance. We talk about these hard things. And it's not to beat someone up or make them feel bad. It's repentance so that we can have this new life, this, this actual life of salvation. Right. Um, and, and that's what, again, I wanted to make sure we, we spent time on that because we're going to talk about some other negative, horrible things. Yeah. But it didn't have to be that way. Yeah. Right. And I think one thing that you're hitting on is there's multiple levels of this. Yeah. I mean, at the core, we're talking about biblical principles, mm-hmm. theology. We're talking about redemption that comes through Christ and how that changes a human, whether it was 160 years ago or whether it's today. But we're also filtering all that through the lens of our history and our and our community, through our racial lenses, through our political lenses, and even to where our political affiliations are today. Yeah. So when we bring these things up, we have really no idea how what lens a person is viewing this through. And if they're looking at it through one of those upper lenses as opposed to the foundational lens of through the word of God, yeah. we're going to get upset. We're going to get frustrated. We're not going to understand. But at the end of the day, we have to remember if the word of God is our basis and our base, our starting point of where we're trying to have these conversations, then it all goes back to what is the most, um, 
redeemable aspect of how we can look at these situations and how can we bring healing and how can we give honor to Jesus from where we are in by bringing people to to the table to have these conversations. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah. All right. Before we go deeper in, because you see, I got all my tabs. Ooh, you got a lot. <laughs> yeah. You and I color coded so them tabs. for what sort of subject they're related to. Yeah. But does somebody else have one that, that you really wanted to 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 highlight when this idea of of chapter three before we start getting into some of my really serious divisions that I've done. I mean, to me, I mean, I'm, I'm loving getting into that. I just, at the very, very beginning, just a small thing, just to point out just a nuance in history. And I don't, can't remember if we've mentioned this before, but the fact that the, um, the, the Emancipation Proclamation had already been signed mm-hmm. and then three years later, slavery still continued throughout the state and then after the Civil War, slavery still continued in Kentucky for at least another six months until it was ratified by the 13th Amendment that yeah. it was then abolished. Yeah. So just to give us a framework for, for all that the stuff we're about to talk well, actually, about. Actually, I put in my notes on that one, because you're talking about the second paragraph there, yeah. where I talked about how slaves in Hopkinsville and Chris County, along with other bondsmen in Kentucky, were officially manumitted by the 13th Amendment. December 18th, 1865, because the idea is that the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves in Kentucky. Exactly. Um, and that's, we talk about, you know, history and how important history is. I mean, that's the reality of it, is that all the slaves weren't freed by that proclamation. Kentucky found that nice gray zone. You mean to tell me if we don't secede, we're going to keep our slaves? All right, cool. Yeah. We're going to stay in the Union. <laughs> Look and, at that. We're unionists. Yeah. And later on in her, it actually says that there were some that were still held hostage. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's a big word that, that I've, I, my translations I read usually don't have it in there, but man stealing. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was man stealing. Yeah. Even after everything was done and over, there were still African-Americans that were held hostage to work for former owners of slaves. I just thought of a very controversial place to take this. And I'm curious what you would have to say about this too. But okay, 13th Amendment. Having worked in the justice system, what is your take on people who say that because of how it's worded, we still have enslavement of so many persons of color and poor people in general through our legal system? Um, For anybody who's not aware that essentially slavery, many would argue that slavery wasn't actually ended in this country. They would say that it was simply ended unless you commit a crime. Right. And that the way it's worded is such that you are allowed to still be a slave as long as you're found guilty of some crime. Right. Um, and so some people say the justice system as it stands is a continuation of slavery. You've worked in the prison system. I have right. no idea what your opinion is of this. I'm curious about both of you guys. Like, what is yeah. your take on that? I'm going to defer to Richard on this one, honestly, okay. because I don't, I don't know that I have an opinion on it okay. because I've not yeah. thought about it from that angle. All right. So. Well, I mean, there's a big debate on what the, the, the prison industrialized complex is and, and how it got to be the way it is. I mean, I think there have been series of laws that have, you know, unfortunately, tar- I don't know if in the word target is the right word, but have um, imprisoned African-Americans by and large um, more than, than, than their, you know, lighter skinned brothers. Yeah. Disproportionately. Disproportionately. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. So there's a couple of thoughts about that. Years ago, they used to have these work farms. And mm-hmm. so if someone went to jail or prison, they would go out in the middle of nowhere and then corrupt officials would make money off the backs of, and that happened after slavery, but it happened well until like the 1970s. Yeah. And if you were one of these people who got one of these jobs as a warden, you talk to one of these good old farm boys and we'll pay your boys 
so-and-so money, and then he would keep it and pocket it. And sometimes that's how the warden got paid. He gets something from the state, but he could make more money over that. And so there came down to laws where you have to actually pay these inmates now. And so that kind of, but they make, make like 50 cents a day. So it's not much. But I think the idea is still kind of sound is if you, if you have these folks that are incarcerated and you make them do work, is that not some form of slavery that goes beyond punishment? And it's not 100% slavery because it's, they've done something to warrant punishment. I think we just have to look at the systems that we've created to get them in. So for like California, mm. they used to have three strikes and you're out. Yeah. So if I sold you know, crack three times, I could be life in prison. Okay, that 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 is something that has disproportionately affected people of color more than anybody else. You have yeah. So I was gonna I'll weigh in with a little bit of Wendell Berry on this one. Not quoting him, but um, he's big on small farmers. And as you're talking about that in Southern, I was actually thinking of the movie Oprah the Where Art Thou. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's another example. Of, so that anybody's like, well, it's, life. It's not. It is. It is honestly the poorer people. Um, and yes, minorities and immigrants tend to be in the poorer group of people, but it's not just brown people. But at the same time, like this is a thing. Um, and that's an argument that people are having. Um, I don't I'm, I'm curious to hear. So one day we're going to revisit it's, it's this, a this homework project. We're going to revisit me. this conversation, yeah. Brandon, because I would yeah. love to hear your, your your take on it, especially being a fellow anarchist and all. Right. Um, <laughs> but also to your point, there's libertarian <laughs> anarchist. Sure. Go ahead, Richard. <laughs> but but there there is there's argument to change the constitution to take that one little part out yeah. so that it does reflect a clear a clear yeah. representation of what the intent was. Because it really it literally is just one phrase inserted. Except if you're going to jail. Yeah. Right. Um all right, so moving ahead with this with the hard stuff. Let's see here. I'm gonna go to let's see what this one is. Oh man. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Page seventy seven. <laughs> 77. Yes. Here we go. All right. So I got this extended quote here in the middle of 77. It says, just about last Christmas, when the Proclamation of Universal Liberty was published, Austin Doolin flew into a fit of wrath like most. Rebel slaveholders drove his Negroes out of their cabins and out in the winter weather and told them to shift for themselves and advised a certain Negro woman to come to me for protection as I was a friend of Negroes. The woman came to see me, told me she had seven children, most of them small and helpless, and that she wanted me to give her shelter. Those Negroes worked all their lives for Doolin. They filled last year his granaries and meat houses, or meat house, and just as this was done, he turned them out in midwinter with but little to eat. And just for context, the guy who's writing this is a universalist minister. Yeah. Right. So, so this is somebody who is writing this and saying, this is not good. Yeah. Right. They came to me because of where I stood on some things. Yeah. But he's describing that. A white thing. guy. Well, white guy, not yes. just, you know, so yes. just to make sure that perfectly, because again, I think it's important to highlight that, that, that there was a choice to be made. That's right. Yeah. That, 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 okay, the war was bad, slavery bad. What do I do with this? Right. And over and over again, we're seeing now more documented these people who said, you know what, even those might make me a traitor to my people in some person's eyes. Yeah. I'm going to stand on the side of what God would stand on. I'm going to stand on what's right. And what's right is to say, Hey, these are people. Um, but, but how messed up is that? I actually wrote about how this, you know, the idea of a paradigm of abuse. Yes. Like, this is some serious abuse happening here. It is. And, and so that abuse may have happened before all of this, but I'm looking at all this through the, the contents of one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies is Gone with the Wind. I was going to say, you're going to bring that up again? I do. It, I love Gone <laughs> with the Wind because it, it, it's the story of the end of an error from the side that lost. 
And so when I'm, I'm thinking about this guy, Austin Doolin, yeah. I mean, he may have been an angry guy. He may have beat his slaves every day of the week. I don't know. But what I do realize is that the fabric of the society that he knew of is crumbling and falling apart. Yeah. The, 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 the union has come. I can't remember what year this is. Um, but the idea is that the society that he has come to know and love is crumbling in front of him. And with all likelihood, his, his property is going to evaporate. His livelihood, his ability to gain more wealth is gone away. A system that he probably had come accustomed to is now changing. Yeah. And so I can only imagine the fear, the unknown, what's going to happen in addition to his natural racism that permeated through the culture and society. But we have to look at it through the lens of, the world is changing for the South. Yeah, I mean, right. the world's changing for everybody in America, but at the same time, it's really changing in the South. Their system of economics yeah. is all changing. And that's Glazier right here. He says, you know, economically ruined and embittered by the war, many yeah. former slaveholders sought to continue controlling their erstwhile slaves, especially in regard to their labor. And, and that's what you see, because this isn't just society saying, this thing that you've been doing is evil. Yeah. This is also society saying, your entire system of wealth, we're, we're taking it away. Yeah. And so, it, was it the right call? Yes. But was the impact beyond just a moral consideration to an economic consideration for these guys? Absolutely. And so that just exacerbates the yeah. tensions, exacerbates the feelings of the, of the aggrieved yeah. parties as they would see themselves, the losing side, as you said. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think I'm going to quote him too much because I've been working on reading, finishing that book. Yep. But Barry <laughs> says this, that he says that he, he, he says, even from the point of view of the poor white non-slave owning farmer in the South, that the slave owner was the slave to their slaves. Mm. And he says this to say that because, because of the nature of, of slavery and, and profiting off of slavery, they completely lost the ability to work for themselves. Right. And so now without slaves, they couldn't yeah. even do basic provision. While your average white person in the South is like, I know how to farm. I know how to grow my own mm -hmm. stuff. But you can't even do that. That they were so this, this, this stress he's going through is, I don't know how to feed myself anymore. Right. You got to feed me. Mm. Yeah, wow. Clark yeah. picks that up. He's like, hey, they filled his granaries last year. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, that, and he's probably looking at this year thinking, how am I going to make that happen? Yeah. Well, yeah. the other white guys around him who don't have slaves are like, by getting off your butt and working? Exactly. What do you mean, how? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's really interesting about this is that at, as we come to the end of slavery in the South, you're, you're hit with a, 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 a people group that doesn't know how to live as freed people. Yeah. And you're leaning with a former slave-owning population that doesn't know how to live without them. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, this is, this is bad for both parties. Yeah. I mean, you would think that the day of freedom, the day of Jubilee is a great day and, you know, but it, it starts off really bad and we'll get into all this mm -hmm. later, but you're starting not necessarily from scratch from both, but, 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 but community wise, you're, you're having new starting place for both. Yeah. And it's a weird, bad time for both groups of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the hostility um, and the badness, thanks to repair, include families. So mm. one of those you actually talked about a little bit already was the, the fact that the slaves that are, that are now free, um, if they want to do something and they want to 
start a family or have a family, some of them had no idea where their family was. Right. Um, on page 89, middle 89, um, we have uh, this guy, was it Moses Slaughter? Which, yeah. should we ask Buddy if that's, you know, if he's related? I was wondering that. I was wondering that too, because we have a friend, uh, Buddy Slaughter, who's a pastor here in town. Mm -hmm. um, and I know he's from Hoptown, mm -hmm. like born and raised. I wonder if this is his family. That's one of the fun things about reading this book. Anybody who gets it and reads it, who lives in Hopkinsville, so many names that you recognize and you're like, I wonder yeah. if it's the same ones. Right. Exactly. Like, like it really makes it all the more personal and real and kind of hurting a little bit too. It's like, you look at your own friends different. Like, like, are you, are you related to them? Like, like I love the Lathams here, yeah. but I'm looking, I'm like, I don't uh, know. Are you my people? <laughs> <laughs> but see, but Moses, it says Moses Slaughter born in Montgomery County. So this is Clarksville. Yeah. Right. right? So, I mean, there's a great likelihood that they are related. Yeah. Or I saw this thing on Facebook. Somebody said they were in a, they were in like a zoom meeting at work and it was like two black people and they had the same last name. And one of the, one of the white people like was joking in the zoom meeting said, Oh, are, are you guys cousins or something? And one of the people responded and said, um, no, but it's, our family probably worked on the same plantation. Oh. And, like, like, and everybody stopped smiling for the rest of the Zoom meeting. Got, got quiet real quick. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> like, a buzzkill. I, I was like, oh, got him. Yeah, you did. <laughs> because, I mean, that's the other thing, too. It could just be that they, both families came from the slaughter farm. I right. mean, who knows? Um, that's true. But the one thing that, that he said, he said, no master was really good to his slaves. The very fact mother from her babes, made master demanded exact obedience from his slaves. Mm -hmm. And then there was, on the next page over on page 90 top part says that was the greatest crime ever visited on the united states it yes. was worse than the cruelty of the overseers worse than hunger for many slaves were well fed and well cared for but when a father can sell his own child humiliate his own daughter by auctioning her on the slave block what good could be expected where such practices were allowed yeah yeah, and that wasn't Moses speaking there. That was Amy Patterson. Yeah, but, it, but the it's same the, sentiment. The same, the same yeah. idea of, of just that this is... And so when these slaves are coming out of the system and they're like, mm -hmm. this is the brokenness we've been enduring that yeah. I can even look at my former master and know that's actually my dad or yes. my uncle or my yes. cousin. What do I do with this? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think a larger conversation... I mean, this is not unique just no. to this area. This was by and large what happened in yeah. slavery. I'm in the process of reading through, once again, the um, autobiography of Frederick Douglass. Uh, and yeah. some, I mean, some of these owners, they would have these um, African-American women slaves and they would have a dozen babies. And it was no different than if you're a puppy breeder. Yeah. You know, if you got a dozen chocolate labs Oh, why'd you have to say chocolate labs? Man? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. You, you didn't have to go there, Kamar. He wasn't going there. I wasn't. I know? couldn't help it. Come on, man. But, it, but if you have a dozen beautiful, precious little puppies, the goal is how much money can I get for these puppies? Right. I'm going to sell one to this one and sell that one, and I could care less that brother and sister are not going to be together again. Yeah. And that's the it's kind my of, property. Exactly. I can dispose of it as I, I will. Want to. Yeah. Or if one of the puppies ends up biting my my daughter, then I can sell that one. Yeah. Or this one is, you know, known to be a good stud, I can sell him out yeah. or or rent him out, and that happened as well. Yeah. If I have a big strong stud of a of a slave, I can go over and send it like a bull. Yeah. Uh, almost just like a bull, I could send him out and rent him out, and then I bring mm -hmm. him back, and he may have a whole family that he's never seen before. Yeah. Or some kids get sold away from their mom. So this is for generations. Yeah. The way that the black family for centuries. For centuries. Yeah. The black family existed. And 
I don't know if it's, I mean, it, it, it recovered to some degree from that, but you think about these first few families you're talking about here in Hopkinsville, right. yeah. that they're trying to recover a semblance of what their family, who they are, where they are. Yeah. I want to hear like Brandon, because a few months back when we first like read through this book and we were talking about it, and now some of these are things that you hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. Um, like what do you, how do you feel? See, for me, I can't remember not thinking these things. Right. Um, my whole life. I don't know if it was like that with you too, Richard, like pretty much from, I, I can't remember when I first realized I was black. Like people have that story. Like when did you first, my family growing up, my parents were really tough. My dad was a black Panther. Like, so mm-hmm. I've always known these things and thought these things, but what's it like, like you can remember what if, for thinking this and thinking, wow, selling your own kids, selling families. Like what is, how do you feel about those things? I, I think you can't get past just the sheer brokenness mm-hmm or sinfulness or just horror that that could ever be in somebody's mind, that you could look at a fellow image bearer and think of them no different than a puppy or a calf or a bull, you know, that that would be in any way, shape or form the approach. I just, I have to think what, what kind of hardening of your heart would you have to do to get there? But then I, but then I look at, today and this is you know the whole focus with us is is saying okay how do we bring this into today and i think about the way our society views children in the womb yeah yeah the way so many in our society consume pornography yeah, yeah. treating people as objects for my gratification yeah. for my fulfillment and it's just oh hey this is a human problem right, right. and so the terror or the horror that i feel when I, when I learn this, then turns into shame yeah. at, okay, we haven't learned our lesson. Yeah. We keep doing this stuff to each other. Yeah. And that's where the hope of the gospel comes in. Yeah. That's right. You know, that's where right. it's like, hey, these are terrible things. Yeah. They were terrible back then. They're that's terrible right. now. But Jesus still offers us yeah. Yeah. hope. You know, I think that's what you just said, the way you said it, I think is a great opportunity for our community to go and use a, a, a Kamar word to lament together. You know, I, I mean, love lamentations. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's and, that's right, my book right there. Right. And in and, and, and the bubble of my mind, I have this idea of let's fill up the stadium of champions. Let's come together. Let's link arms. Mm-hmm. Say, you know what? There's a lot of bad things that have happened in this community. You know, it's... There's nothing wrong with being sad about that. There's nothing yeah. wrong with crying about that. But you know what? God can do so much mm. through a people who are humbled by what has happened. Yeah. Yeah. How can we grow from this? How can we be brothers and sisters through this? How can we do good to one another? Yeah. Now, there's, there's something beautiful that can happen through that much brokenness. But I think that's one of the important things of why we're doing this. How can you lament something you don't even know that's happened? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. So back to your original question, you know, yeah. that idea of recognizing that and wrestling with that, lamenting it, yeah. applying it, but, but coming back to Christ. Yes. You know, yeah. saying, yes, it's good to weep. It's yeah. good to mourn. Uh, it's good to repent, like yeah. Daniel 9. Um, but we don't live there. Right. We, we have to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then we have to live in the grace of Christ and the grace that he offers us, we have to offer to others. Mm. 
But figuring out the complexity of that, figuring out the when and the how long and the what, Mm -hmm. I only think that happens in community. I only think that's when we're together. And it's not me telling you, hey, this is enough repentance. Let's move on. And it's not you telling me, like, hey, just get your act together and quit crying. (laughs) You know, like... (laughs) Right. We have to be sensitive to one another, and yeah. it, these kind of complex topics and this history that's painful yeah. for a lot of people to think through, we're going to have to, as the church and as pastors, yeah. we're going to have to be able to give grace upon grace upon yes. grace. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's so powerful about what you said? I don't think we do that very well as a Christian people. Right. Yeah. I don't think, whether it's a black church, white church, Hispanic church, I just don't think the church does that very well. Yeah. I think we have a golden opportunity in our community to lead in that, um, but it's again, we talk about marriage again, but it's no different than, you know, me having grace for my wife and, and lamenting with her as we go through a hard time, mm-hmm. being not rushing that, but being in the moment. It's like my wife always says, you're here, but you're not really here. Yeah. You know, we need to be here for one another. Yeah. And then there's intimacy and a bond that supernaturally happens. Yeah. And yes. I think if we learn the art of doing that, I think unity in the body of Christ would would spring forward and and flow like a river. Yeah, I know. I know it's not the time to say it because we're sitting here talking, you know. But I think about Job and his friends. Yeah, his friends had it right. Yeah, when they first showed up and just sat there with yes, him. Yes, that's right. Just sit there with him yeah. in it, and it don't open your mouth until God says to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's the and I, I know that's something because we've talked about this a little bit. I, I haven't talked to you as much about it, Richard, but a little bit of. We're doing this, and the question is, okay, so what next? Um, and the answer is, I have no idea what next. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I think that it's so oftentimes in our walk as Christians, God won't tell us the next thing until we're almost done with the current thing. There you go. Um, and word. I think that the, what next right now is, well, there is no next yet. We're mm-hmm. still in the middle of the lamenting, in mm-hmm. the repenting, in the learning. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you and I, we, we've read this already, and we're reading it again. And we're like, man, that didn't stick out to me before. Right. Like, yeah. We're still learning and growing and repenting and lamenting, as it were. Yeah. Um, but that's not an eternal thing. Like, the great thing about the story of Christ is that we don't have to spend eternity, eternity atoning for our sins. That's right. Amen. I mean, he, he said it is finished. But we do need to spend some time recognizing and repenting so we can really appreciate what go. he finished. That's right. Um, yes. And then do the next thing. And so there yes. is going to be a next thing. People are asking, like, well, what's the next thing? Come there will on. be a next, as long as, you know, Christ doesn't come back or we don't die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'll be a next thing. Yeah, but yes. right now, it's not a next thing thing. Right now, it's a, well, it's this right now. That's right. I do not consider myself as having attained it yet. Come yes. On. But forgetting what lies behind, what are we coming to the forgetting? Yeah. I'm asking, that's a yeah. question. That's okay. a question. So I'm asking you. We have to forget. How do we forget the, what lies yeah. behind? Mm-hmm. And I think that would, could be a legitimate concern that somebody has. Well, yeah. hey, how about we just forget all that ever happened? Mm. You see what I'm like? Yeah. Is that yeah. making sense? Yeah. It, that's not what Paul's saying. No, no. no. He's not saying pretend it doesn't exist. Exactly. No. How many times does Paul bring up his past? Yeah. <laughs> I was the chief of sinners. Yeah. I was the yeah. worst of the worst. Exactly. But God had mercy on me. Yeah. And it's that remembrance of the guilt mm-hmm. without remembering the shame or carrying the burden anymore. That's he remembers right. the sin, but he also remembers there is now, therefore, no condemnation for yes. those who are in Christ Jesus. That's right. Now, it's, it's how do I grow from this, yes. right? Yes. That past, which was ugly, becomes the fertilizer in which I now grow yeah. from. Yeah. Which, speaking of growing, and we talk about the families, something that surprised me in this chapter was when it talked about the abundance of black marriages at the end of, of, of the Civil War. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's see, I, I have it marked somewhere. Uh, because they could not get married legally while they were yeah. uh, slaves. 
And so it talks about this idea of jumping the broom. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, a, did you do that at your wedding? Um, you know, we didn't do that. So my wife, I didn't either. You know, I'm, Howell, I'm a member <laughs> yeah. of Howell. You know, we didn't, that's not a common practice in Irish American wedding culture, yeah. apparently. Well, but, but Brandon probably did, right? You, you yeah, jumped the broom. You're, did, I yeah. absolutely did not. Oh, okay. It's not too late. <laughs> yeah. When yeah, you, yeah. when you do your nuptials again, maybe at 20 or 30. I was just, just going to say, so 18 this year. Okay. Yeah. Two years from now. You're jumping Maybe the broom. I can talk Come Megan into it. on. That would be awesome. Yeah. I would love that. I want to be there. Yeah. With dashikis on. Oh, with their kinta cloths on. Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Here we go. That's awesome. I'll let y'all convince my so, wife. So so the idea of them jumping the broom is because sometimes they said there wasn't a pastor, a yeah. white or a, a black pastor was not around. Yeah. And so they wanted some kind of a ceremonial moment or thing to do to commemorate that moment. And so yeah. I don't know where the broom came from, but it, it represent maybe on, yeah. on this side of the broom, maybe it was like the Red Sea. On this side, we are separated, but on this side, we are together. I, I imagine somebody smarter than us has done some African studies thing, and it, it probably something was brought over Could be. from African yeah. culture. Because um, there's a lot of things like that that are, exist within black culture that are actually mm -hmm. African things, That's like right. okra, mm -hmm. <laughs> that are actually African okra. things it that is. were brought over by the slaves. Did you know that? I did not know okra that. Okra is an African plant. Yeah. The okra in my garden is doing really good. I'm excited That's, about it. True, on. true, somewhat disgusting story. Okra was brought over in the feces of slaves. Mm, like it was, wow. it was a plant over there. And why'd you it. have to go there? But, I mean, because it's me. you were talking about fertilizer and growing out of the past yeah, and, and, and the, theoretical and I mean, growth and, and <laughs> metaphorical growth and because i'm me not physical feces <laughs> i think we've lost the plot guys but back to marriage but back to yeah. so so this idea which is completely unrelated to feces this, this idea of, of marriage and how it's recorded and like it talks about on page 93 it talks about the way that people were recorded was how they would not record father um, on on the, the accounts, you know, it was like father or slave owner, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and then you have mother being recorded. This idea that they did not have a category for marriage within slavery. But then when you look at the data, you find that immediately at the end of the Civil War, marriage was a huge thing. There was this large percentage of black couples that weren't just cohabiting or mm -hmm. reproducing. They were getting married. Yeah. Um, and what I thought was interesting, something I had not thought about till reading this book. Um, is that I always held the belief that, okay, the issue of fatherlessness and, and marriage issues in black America, you know, it maybe it goes back to this cultural thing of slavery. Um, and he really just kind of blows that up and says, the data does not verify that at all. Like the Monaghan Report. Yes. We need to go back to that at some point. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, actually, I think that's coming up on page 96 as well, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, where he mentions that. But the, the idea that, and that's, so that's report that federal government had that said that, you know what, essentially it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. They're still slaves in their minds. Yeah. And so they can't get past all these things. The damage from slavery yeah. has caused what you see today. And, and I actually believe that. I did too. I wanted to. It made sense. Yeah. And then you read this and you're like, well, no, actually, um, yeah. this idea of the disrespect towards marriage in the black community is yeah. a relatively new thing. It is. And um, it's, it's really not until we see um, laws change like the no-fault divorce. Yeah. Um, when that kind of came in, you saw divorce rates skyrocket in black and white populations. But it was this idea. It's easy because divorce used to be you have to abuse, mm -hmm. abandonment or adultery. Yeah. But with no fault divorce, all you need are unreconcilable differences. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Back yeah. in the day when when these relationships were tight and it makes so much sense because you think about this population was so uh 
devastated yeah. by, by slavery, the option that we can have a family, mm-hmm. that we can stay together. I can only imagine how it would concrete them and submit them together to say, nobody's going to pull us. The man's not going to pull us apart. Nothing. Only God. He's the only thing that's going to keep us together. Nobody is going to pull this family apart. We're going to have three generations that are staying close. It's it's almost like black marriage as black resistance. Wow. That's almost beautiful. Yeah. I, tell, I'm, I'm, I am going to be this Malcolm X guy now. I'm going to yeah. have all these. You're leaning things. into that. I'm You're leaning, leaning into, into it. That. I'm going to be that guy. But but Black I mean, <laughs> marriage is resistance. <laughs> but well, I mean, that was that was the idea of like you know yeah. what you denied me humanity. You have denied right. me family. You have denied me all these things. But now you can't anymore. We're yeah. going to get married. We're going to be together. We're going to raise a family. They're going to have my name. I'm going to show you. Yeah. That we can be a family. Yeah. Right. Well, and and Glazier pulls this out that 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 was true prior to their legal ability to get marriage as well, yeah. like you talked about with the jump in the broom and different mm-hmm. things. And he talks about how actually the recognition of irregular, I can't remember exactly how he says it, uh, irregular unions, unstable relationships could only flourish alongside committed bonds between the slaves. Like right. if that was the, if the only pattern was irregular or uncommitted relationships, you would have never had this rush for yeah that afterwards. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's, again, that denial of humanity that is inherent to slavery yeah. and a rejection of that by the population of formerly enslaved people who say, black resistance, yeah. Yeah. right? I'm going to get married and show you yeah. that this was true all the time. It's kind of the report. I, when, we were in, um, when we were over in Poland and we went to the Auschwitz-Birkenau, like they talk about that too. If you see this around the world in all cultures, that when you try and re- rob people of their humanity, they don't give up. Yeah. They're like, you know what? You, mm-hmm. might, you might do everything you can to make me not human, but when you're not looking, yeah. I'm going to be a people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you're looking yeah. again? And, and something, mm-hmm. so that brings up one more thing that I do want to touch on before we close out this episode is actually on page 96. Within the, the idea of marriage and talking about some of the things that undermine marriage, they talked about the idea of the welfare system, as it were. Um, and he says here in the middle, he says, uh, moreover, honesty was often penalized since employers depressed wages on the assumption that their workers would steal merchandise. Um, hmm. And then, and then he talked about this idea of, of being tenacious in it, but he, he, he talks also about, you know, welfare systems that if you have a dad, you're not going to get as much. Right. Oh, if you're working a job, well, we're going to just assume you're, you're being dishonest. And, and something that my wife and I, we've talked about that I've picked up on in my family, both sides really, is that there is this, this vein of almost um, celebrating dishonesty yeah. um, as a means of survival. Yeah. Um, and so when, speaking of Poland, when we were in Poland, one of the things that we did there, my wife and I, we were part of this English club um, as, as part of how they help just get the gospel out, where we sit down with Polish people and we just speak English to help them learn English. But there's always one gospel thing in there. So we had a Bible verse in there that was when Jesus was before Pilate on, you know, what is truth? And so our debate was like, is it ever okay to lie? And I kind of, corner, you know how I can corner Laura sometimes. It was fun. Um, the way I got her was that I got her to admit that she was happy I lied about her surprise birthday party. Yes. <laughs> And didn't tell her. Yeah. And, and everybody's like, ah, he wins. And it's like, yes, I got you. But I also acknowledged <laughs> and I told him, I said, part of my, my leaning on this is cultural. is because as a black person, there were so many times for my people where dishonesty was seen as the only way to survive. Mm. That if they were completely honest, they might lose their life. They might lose mm-hmm. their job, lose their family. And so dishonesty became this celebrated mm. almost quality of, mm. of, of, are you able to trick the white folks? 
Mm-hmm. If you can, you're going to get ahead. Right. And, and that's something I've wrestled with and had to wrestle against of, of mm-hmm. no, I'm going to be say, even sometimes brutally honest, mm-hmm. but it's recognizing that tendency in me that says, well, or you could just, you know, lie and get ahead. That's what yeah. we've been doing for years. It mm-hmm. works, Kamar. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, but that's not of God. Right. Um, yeah. what, what do you guys think about this idea of, 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 of almost instilling that in the black population of this dishonesty for the sake yeah. of survival? It, it, it hurts me to think that there's these... Um, um, pass down traits of lying mm-hmm. just because someone is a particular you know color. I think it, I think I don't. I wouldn't say that it's you know passed down in the DNA. I think no. it, from generation to generation, each 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 generation has to answer for its own. I think there's situations that you know we could be put in like they were put in, mm-hmm. where you know master's going to beat me if I don't tell on somebody or, yeah. or say somebody did something. So I've got to come up with an answer. Yeah. I'm not saying that I would do that. But I can see easily how put in a situation that people would make up truth, make up lies, yeah. whatever it takes to survive. And I, and I think that, and I didn't know you were going there, but I was thinking that some of that permeates today, but I think it also permeates the lies are actually a part of an entitlement that some folks have. Mm-hmm. Like uh, recently we found out that the um, affirmative action mm-hmm. has been peeled back by the Supreme Court. Yeah. I would argue that some African-Americans throughout history of that judgment that went into place probably look at that as a form of reparations. Mm -hmm. We have been um, unfairly kept away from colleges and universities, and this is a way of making that right. It's not full reparations, but this is a way of trying a path forward Mm -hmm. to doing that. So I think there's some situations where even like, you know, the welfare system and things like that, I think there's dysfunctional realities that were created to be able to solicit some of that kind of benefit. Yeah. And I think we still see some of those things today because some of the rules don't make sense. If someone's married, they have to not claim or somebody's um, shacking up. They can't get married so that they can continue to get these benefits. I think the system itself is not perfect. And because it's an imperfect system, we have imperfect ways of obtaining benefits in those systems. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for me, what, what the struggle has always been this, this thing, though it is sin, it actually does work. And I think that's Mm. one of the things that that's, that's really that I I like how he said it there because honesty is penalized. And right. this is something that's not a unique yeah. black thing. Anybody who is a Christian can understand that. That's right. That you're going to have these tensions. And I'm not saying this to say that they're wrong for being dishonest to survive. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be here today if my family hadn't found a way to survive. Yeah. So I'm thankful for their survival, yes. But I can also sit there and say, but man, that's not how Christ would want us to live. Yeah. And it's this, this tension and the struggle of do I want to resort to the, to the, you know, the mechanisms of man to get ahead or am mm-hmm. I willing to risk even my life like for the sake of living out Christ-likeness. I think a lot of that is rooted in the stories that we tell and that we celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in my family growing up in the Intermountain West, you know, the cowboy yeah. was the was the model. Yeah. You know, like that's, you wanted to be rugged, you wanted to be tough, you wanted to be an individual who didn't rely on anybody, didn't need anybody. Well, there's a lot in that that's Directly contrary to the gospel. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And But the stories we tell end up shaping us and forming us, and I think the, the process of conversion and of sanctification in some ways involves all of us kind of wrestling with the stories we were told, picking out the meat and spitting out the bones. Yeah. Right? There's a lot in that cowboy image that I, that I still today value, 
you know, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, you know, that kind of stuff. Like that's good. Yeah. (laughs) That's good stuff. Um, but then the stories that you tell, like, Hey, if you lie, you can get ahead, right? That's a story that we're telling ourselves in a, in a, in this Mm -hmm. context. And the gospel has to speak to that, but the gospel also has to speak to the stories that the majority were telling themselves. Yeah. Right. Right. Look at all we did. Yeah. yeah. For our slaves. How yeah. dare they say we yeah. were this bad? Yeah. How, you know, yeah. like, where's the gratitude? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're telling yourself a story and you're not really thinking about what does the gospel say about it? That's right. Yeah. And, and I think if we examined mythology more than we do, if we, if we looked at some of those kind of things, we'd see that coming out even more. Mm. African folk heroes, right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Anansi. What are, what are some of the, the yeah. traits yeah. that exactly. you have in those characters? Um, and then the same thing for, again for my culture growing up, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And our task is always to bring the gospel to bear on those things. And, and I would say, and that one, and we can actually close out. Yeah, we should probably close out this episode. But I, I want to say just to, to add some gospel balance to that. Um, I think you've said this. I'm pretty sure I've heard you say this about you know we shouldn't expect non Christians to act like Christians. Hundred percent. Um, and so for somebody who's sitting there on the outside looking at the black culture, as it were, and say, look at all this level of, of dishonesty. And, and you see something like this, and like I said, I can, and I acknowledge it, yes, there is a level in some semblances, in some parts of black culture, there's a level of dishonesty that says, this is how we survive. This is how we win against the struggle. They're out to get us. We're going to come together. We're going to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead on our own. I mean, look at majority of hip-hop culture, right? Hmm. And people sit there and say, well, isn't that horrible? And I would caution for them to have gospel lenses themselves and say, first of all, they don't even know Christ. Mm. Second of all, they actually are trying to navigate an unjust system and they're using whatever means they can to survive. Mm. Third of all, have I ever actually done that? Where when I'm up against impossible odds, I decide to rely on something that I can do my own way right. as opposed to doing it the right way. Right. So then fourth of all, how about yeah. I extend grace to them mm-hmm. and love to them, maybe teach them about Christ and also see, am I contributing to the systems that yeah. makes them feel like they need to lie? Right. Mm-hmm. Because that's the reality of it is that, yeah, people who sit there and try and judge black culture about all these negatives. OK, you're not wrong on some of these things. Yeah. Now, we can go through the history and we'll eventually get there in the book of of how at the end of slavery, like I said, at the end of slavery, we had this wonderful, positive one family culture that wasn't about those things. Right. And right. now we have this thing here. How do we get there? We'll get there in the story. But the reality is, is that there, it didn't just happen in a vacuum. Right. It's not just sinful people being sinful. They're being sinful in response to sin around them. Mm. And we should be gracious. We should be Christ-like that says, you know what? Instead of me condemning you in your sin, how about I find a way that I can die for you in your mm-hmm. sin? Because I follow Christ. I was going to say that sounds suspiciously like Jesus. <laughs> As it should. As it should. As it should. Yeah. All right. Do me, do me a favor. Um, let's see. You open us up in prayer before we got start recording, so you guys don't know about that. But, Brandon, could you close in prayer before we end up this episode? Yeah. yeah. Father, thank you. Uh, for the grace that you give to each of us. Um, Thank you for the grace you give us for those areas we know we fail you in. Uh, But God, help us to remember that your grace is given even for those areas we are blind to. Uh, Your grace is all-encompassing. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his example. We thank you for there being a third option. It's not my way or your way or somebody else's way. It's Jesus' way. Uh, God, I thank you for that, and I pray that we would live in that. And I pray that this conversation would continue to be fruitful, uh, and Lord, that you would guide it every step along the way. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, see you guys next time.
thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of any institution, organization, or corporation. The material and information presented here are for general information purposes only. All persons who participated did so of their own free will and speak for themselves only, regardless of any personal affiliations they may possess. Been Pastoring Through Some Hard Times is a production of Salt Light Love Ministries, all rights reserved. Thank you.